There are two churches in these latter days. There is the church of Christ and there is the church of the devil. And there are many people who prefer not to join either of those churches. And as time moves on, and as we get closer to the end days and the calamities that will come, you're going to have to choose. If you want to survive, you're going to have to choose one of those churches whether that be the church of Christ or the church of the devil. Now, how does that look? A good example would be if you take somebody who hasn't had quite a lot of money in their life and suddenly give them a lot of money. Money is neutral. But if you give it to somebody for free like that, you will see character traits come out of them that you haven't seen before. Same thing if you, you know, suppose you post something on Facebook that goes viral and get thousands of likes. That will bring things out of your character that you haven't seen before. Maybe you don't care at all. Maybe you were glad just to have made a post that added value to people's lives. Or maybe it goes straight to your head and stokes your pride. Similarly, in these last days, things will happen where you'll have to make a decision. Now, you can be compelled to make that decision, to choose one or the other, but we're going to talk about Alma chapter 32 tonight and why it's better to choose to be, choose the church of Christ for the word's sake and not because you were compelled. Now, there are a group of us there are many people probably around the world who are in the church of Christ seeking his will and not their own. And the way that you enter into his church is you enter into his covenant, the new and everlasting covenant. Your oath, your part of that covenant is to offer him a broken heart and contrite spirit. His part of that oath is to give you redemption and salvation. Now it is my hope that if you have not entered into that covenant, that you do so and start the path to the first comforter and to the second comforter. But of course it is your choice. And there is a group of us who are members of the Church of Christ that doesn't mean that we have a building. That doesn't mean that we have a leader or a hierarchy. It simply means that we have entered into this covenant with Christ to follow his path. And our desire is to help whoever else might also want to enter this path. So the purpose of this Zoom meeting tonight is to help those who are considering whether or not they want to make that covenant. It is also to help those who have already entered into that covenant and do so again and again every day, but have not yet received the first comforter. And there are many scriptures, pretty much the entire Book of Mormon. Its goal is to help those who've entered the covenant get to the first comforter. 
Now, there are other people on the call tonight who've already received their first comforter. And they've come on because they want to help the rest of us. Their testimonies of Christ burn bright. Now, they don't just freely share their experience with the first comforter or the second comforter if they've had it with just anybody. But they're here tonight to support us. And if you figure out who they are, you can ask them about it. I haven't met any of them yet that are unwilling to share their experiences, especially if they believe it will help you on your journey. So we're grateful to them. We're grateful to them for being here tonight and lending their support. Now we're going to talk about Alma chapter 32. But before we do that, I want to review some things we went over last week. Let me pull up my screen here first. So last week, we talked about what I call power verses in the scriptures. There are certain scriptures, especially in the Book of Mormon, where all four steps of the doctrine of Christ are in one verse. And those four steps are first, we offer a broken heart and contrite spirit to the Lord. And if we do everything that he says, he promises that we will receive the first comforter. Then, if we endure to the end on the path, and listen to everything he says and feast on his words, then we will be able to receive the second comforter. Now, there are many different words and phrases in the scriptures to describe these different steps. For broken heart and contrite spirit, that step includes coming unto Christ. Anything having to do with faith, repentance, or baptism of water. The step that has the most words to describe it in the Book of Mormon is this first comforter. Another word for the first comforter is to receive your baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. To be redeemed, to be cleansed from sin, to enter in the gate, to receive charity, to become the elect, to literally become adopted by Jesus Christ and become his sons and daughters. It is also referred to as entering the gate. And once you're in the gate, then you must endure to the end on the straight and narrow path, feasting on the words of Christ. Now the word to describe the second comforter most often in the scriptures, or especially the Book of Mormon, is eternal life. When you see the words eternal life in a scripture, when you're reading the Book of Mormon, most often that's referring to the promise of eternal life that you receive in the second comforter. It's also talked about to enter the kingdom of God, to be on the right hand of God, or enter into his rest. Now I'll bring up the scripture that I used last week to describe one of these power verses, and that was in 1 Nephi 13.37. Blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth my Zion at that day. For they shall have the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost. And if they endure to the end, 
unto the end, they shall be lifted up at the last day and shall be saved in the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb. And whoso shall publish peace, yea, tidings of great joy, how beautiful upon the mountains shall they be. Well, it's pretty easy to find three of the steps in this verse. First, we see they shall have the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost. That's clearly referenced to the first comforter. Second, if they endure to the end, that one's always easy to spot. Step three, endure to the end. And then there's the fourth step, lifted up at the last day and saved in the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb. That one is referring to the second comforter experience. So where is the step broken heart and contrite spirit? That one might not be as clear. In this verse, it usually comes first in these power verses. So what does it mean? What does it mean? And blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth my Zion at that day. This is what we discussed last week. And we can get the clues for that in JST Genesis chapter 9, 21, 25. What does it mean to look up to Zion? And this is the verse restored to the Old Testament by Joseph Smith that describes what really the new and everlasting covenant is. It is not just a rainbow placed in the sky that the Lord is promising not to flood the earth again. It is the promise of the redemption and of salvation. And that, and the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I remember, remember the everlasting covenant, which I made unto thy father Enoch, that when men should keep all my commandments, Zion should again come on the earth, the city of Enoch, which I have caught up unto myself. And this is mine everlasting covenant, that when the posterity shall embrace the truth and look upward, then shall Zion look downward. And the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven and possess the earth and shall have place until the end come. And this is my everlasting covenant. So. What is the first step? It is a broken heart and contrite spirit. And in this power verse, it's interesting that that. Detail is brought out that part of having a broken heart and contrite spirit is what is your intent? Blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth as my Zion at that day. Those who seek Zion, those who seek to have the Lord be among them. It is them that will receive the Holy Ghost. And then if they endure on to the end on the path, it is them that receive the second comforter. So this was just a review of what we went through last week to show you how the steps of the doctrine of Christ can be found in even one verse. Now this week we are going through Alma chapter 32. And there is a power verse in that chapter that I want to review tonight. And that verse is Alma 32, verse 13. Now, because you are compelled to be humble, blessed are ye, 
For a man sometimes, if he is compelled to be humble, seeketh repentance, and now surely whosoever repenteth shall find mercy. And he that findeth mercy and endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. So let's break this down. He that is compelled to be humble and seeketh repentance. That one for me, it is obvious that it is step one, broken heart and the contrite spirit. Step number two. Let me see if I can get this to work. Step number two is always pretty easy to find in the scriptures. Endureth to the end. That's step number three. And then finally, the same shall be saved. Shall be saved is always second comforter language. Now what's interesting about this verse is where is the first comforter? Usually it's couched between broken heart and contrite spirit and endure to the end. And in this particular verse, that is, whosoever repenteth shall find mercy. Now there's not many scriptures, especially power verses, that call the first comforter that ye shall find mercy. But I find that to be a very important description that Alma gives us in this verse. And tonight I want to figure out even more, what does that mean? Why did Alma call the first comforter finding mercy? Okay. Now before we continue into Alma chapter 32, I'd like to give a little bit of background context before we get into this particular sermon. And I want to start in Alma, if you want to turn your scriptures with me, to Alma chapter 11. Okay, in this chapter, we have Amulek and Alma who go about the land trying to help the people of the Church of Christ who have fallen away. They want to strengthen the church. And they want to teach the doctrine of Christ to help increase people's testimonies and hopefully baptize new members into the church. And they have quite a bit of success until they come to this city, Amonaha. And these people have wholly rejected Christ. And when Alma and Amulek are among them, you know, the people say, you are riling, you're riling everybody up. You're breaking our law. And so one of the people steps forward, and he's an attorney. And his name is Yezrem. And he begins to question Alma and Amulek. And first thing he does is he offers them money. And he says, if you'll deny your testimony, I'll pay you this money. And Amulek calls him out on that. And it it shakes Zezrum up a little bit. But he continues on with his questioning. And he says in verse 28, Is there more than one God? And Amulek answered, No. And Zezrum says unto him, How knowest thou these things? And he said, An angel hath made them known unto me. And Zezrum has said again, Who is he that shall come? Is it the Son of God? And Amulek said, Yes. And Zezrum said, Shall he save this people in their sins? 
And Amulek answered and said unto him, I sent you, he shall not, for it is impossible for him to deny his word. At that point, Zeezrom thought he had him. He thought he had twisted his words around. And he said unto the people in verse 35, See that you remember these things. For he said that there is but one God, yet he saith that the Son of God shall come, but he shall not save his people, as though he had authority to command God. Now, I've never understood that before until I began looking for the doctrine of Christ in the Book of Mormon. Zeezrom asks, Hey, is this God that you're talking about going to save his people in his sins? And Amalek said, No, he's not. And Zeezrom thought he caught him. Now you have to understand where the people were coming from. They didn't believe in a Christ because they didn't want to believe in Christ. They wanted to do whatever they wanted to do with zero consequence. And as soon as you come in and start talking about Christ and the need for redemption, people say, redemption from what? I haven't sinned. Why do I need Christ if there's no such thing as sin? So that's what Amulek was really saying was, Yes, he won't save you in your sins, meaning you need to repent first. You need to be redeemed first by Christ. Then you can go on to be saved. Now, the people didn't have any problem with being saved and enjoying eternal life. They just had a problem with first having to be redeemed and relying on this Christ to get there. But when... Amulek started explaining these things to Zeezrom, and he said, Look, whether you like it or not, one of these days you are going to have to come before the Lord, and you're going to have to answer for the decisions that you made in this life. Now, you can choose, if you want, to be redeemed by him. And if you do that, he will cleanse your sins. He will wipe away all of your mistakes and the consequences of those sins. But if you choose not to be redeemed, then you're going to have to face God unclean. And if you're unclean before God, you will be destroyed. So why this chapter is so interesting is because there are many people that I have talked to lately who don't mind the idea of salvation. They don't mind the idea of being saved or after this life, having eternal life. But they have a big problem with the first step, which is redemption. Because then they feel judged. Then they feel like they're going to have to live according to some law instead of their own, a law of their own making. And so they put off the need for a redeemer. And they say that step isn't important. And Amulek was saying, it's the exact opposite. We have to have the redemption. You do not want to be saved. You do not want to go into eternal life without first being redeemed. And as he explained this to Amulek, or Amulek explained this to Zeezrom, Zeezrom started to tremble. Now that's when Alma stepped in. And could see that Zeezrom 
was humbled enough to continue listening. So Alma, over in chapter 12, begins to explain from the beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he explained, you know, the tree of life and what it represented in the garden. And that partaking of the fruit of the tree of life was the same as salvation or receiving the second comforter. But you don't want to do that before you have been redeemed. So one of the people that was with Zeezrom said, what does it mean that God put a cherubim and a flaming sword to guard the way of the tree of life? Isn't that saying that there's no possible way any of us can ever obtain this eternal life now? And Alma explained, no, he did that on purpose to protect us because you do not want to partake of that tree without first being redeemed and cleansed. Because if you do that, if you come into the presence of God in verse 14, our words will condemn us. Yea, our works will condemn us. We will not be found spotless. Our thoughts will also condemn us. And in this awful state, we shall not dare to look up to our God. And we would fain be glad if we could command the rocks and the mountains to fall upon us to hide us from his presence. If you had to face God without first being redeemed, this would be the case. You would way prefer that the mountains fall upon you. There's another verse in Mosiah that I love that describes you know, what that would be like if you came into the presence of the Lord without first being redeemed. It says, Therefore, if that man repenteth not and remaineth and dieth an enemy to God, this is Mosiah chapter 2, verse 38. Therefore, if that man repenteth not and remaineth and dieth an enemy to God, the demands of divine justice do awaken his immortal soul to a lively sense of his own guilt which doth cause him to shrink from the presence of the Lord and doth fill his breast with guilt, pain, anguish, which is like an unquenchable fire whose flame ascendeth up forever and ever. And this next verse in 39 explains why the first comforter was referred to by Alma as receiving mercy. Verse 39, And now I say unto you that mercy hath no claim on that man. Therefore, his final doom is to endure a never-ending torment. You do not want the second comforter before you receive the first comforter. The first comforter is what cleanses you from the blood and sins of this generation. It is how the Lord, through his atonement, pays the price for the consequence of your sin. Only after the first comforter, would you want to endure on the path that will take you to the second comforter? That is why in this imagery in the Garden of Eden, there is cherubim placed with a flaming sword around the tree of eternal life because you don't want to partake of that when you're unclean. Now, unfortunately for the city of Amonaha, not long after this, it was completely destroyed. They refused to hear the message of Alma and Amulek, and they were destroyed because of it. 
Thankfully, there were those like Zeezrom who heard the message, who offered up a broken heart and contrite spirit, and who got on the path and left the city before it was destroyed. Unfortunately, even though that city was destroyed, their teachings and their doctrine was not. And it shows up a couple of years later in a man named Korahor. And we read about Korahor in Alma chapter 30. When Korahor came to the people, he had this same philosophy that there was no such thing as sin, that man can do whatever he wants, and there was no consequence one way or another. Therefore, he rejected the need for a savior. There was no need to be redeemed because whatsoever a man chose was his right. Verse 13 of Alma chapter 30. O ye that are bound down under a foolish and vain hope, why do you yoke yourselves with such foolish things? Why do you look for a Christ? For no man can know of anything which is to come. Behold, these things which you call prophecies, which you say are handed down by holy prophets, behold, they are foolish traditions of your fathers. How can you know any of these things? Verse 16, you look forward and say that you see a remission of your sins. But behold, it is the effect of a frenzied mind, and this derangement of your minds comes because of the traditions of your fathers, which lead you away into a belief of things which are not so. Verse 17, and many more such things did he say unto them, telling them that there could be no atonement made for the sins of men, but every man fared in this life according to the management of the creature. Therefore, every man prospered according to his genius, and that every man conquered according to his strength. And whatsoever a man did was no crime. Can you see if you do not have a broken heart and contrite spirit, if you are filled with pride, why these teachings would be so appealing to you? You can do whatever you want. How you succeed or fail in this life is up to you. It's up to your strength. It's up to your intellect. You get to choose be the best you that you can be, and nobody can tell you otherwise. This is what he's teaching, and this teaching is prevalent today. There is no need for a Savior, because there's no need to be redeemed, because there's no such thing as sin. It's the same teachings that were in the city of Ammonaha. It is what Zeezrom believed. It is what he tried to question Amulek and Alma on. But they were thankfully able to convince him otherwise, that there absolutely is a need to first be redeemed. Now, another thing that Zeezrom did to try to throw people off the path, of course, in verse 18 is to say, when you die, there is no life after this. And when you tell that to someone and they believe it, it gives them all the more motivation to do whatever they want in this life believing there is no consequence afterwards. But of course, Alma and Amulek teach him, no, no, after you die, eventually you're going to have to stand before the Lord and answer for the decisions that you made in this life. And if you have not been redeemed, if you have not had the price of those sins paid for, you would rather have a mountain fall on top of you 
than stand before the Lord. Now, Zeezrom wasn't necessarily being convinced when he was brought before Alma. Alma was trying to explain to him the need for redemption and the need for salvation. And Zeezrom didn't care. And he said, look, I'm not saying there is or isn't a God. I just don't believe there is. But I tell you what, if you show me a sign, then I will believe. And this is verse 43 of Alma chapter 30. And now Korhor said unto Alma, if thou wilt show me a sign that I may be convinced that there is a God, yea, show unto me that he hath power. And then will I be convinced of the truth of his words. Now I want to draw the parallel tonight of those who say, I want to be saved. I want eternal life. I just don't feel like there's a need for Jesus Christ to get me there. There's no need to be redeemed. First, Korahor asking for a sign which is a sure knowledge that God exists, is the same equivalent of asking for eternal life without being first redeemed. And if you are given that knowledge, that sure knowledge of God, without first having to pay the price of having a broken heart and contrite spirit, of exercising faith unto repentance in order to learn that knowledge then it'll be the same fate. When you gain that knowledge, it will condemn you. Unfortunately, Korhor wouldn't change his mind. And so Alma left it to the Lord, and he gave him a sign, and he was struck dumb. Did that turn Korhor around? Did it humble him? Did it make him seek to enter into the new covenant? No, it didn't. He was destroyed because he gained knowledge without earning it through faith. This is the context for us to study Alma chapter 32 tonight. That seeking for knowledge without going through the process of faith and repentance unto redemption will condemn you. There are many people who start on this path. And in order to be on the path, in order to get the full terms of what it means to offer the Lord a broken heart and contrite spirit, you have to go to the Lord and ask Him to give you those terms, you specifically, and receive them by revelation. And revelation is not easy. It's not easy. You spend hours and hours on your knees, praying in humility, hoping sometimes to hear one single word. And if you hear that word, then you begin to doubt. Did it? Was that word really from God? Or was it from my own mind? Or was I deceived? It is quite a process. And many people say, you know what? I will enter this path and seek redemption and salvation 
if the Lord will give me a clear revelation that says that's what I'm supposed to do, if he will come down from heaven and show me that this is the path, then I will follow it. And my answer to you is, you don't want to do that. (laughs) You don't want that sign. You don't want to be held accountable to that. You want to gain that knowledge through the path that the Lord has set, through a broken heart and contrite spirit, through faith and repentance. Now we get back to verse 13. And now, because you are compelled to be humble, blessed are ye. For a man sometimes, if he, seek, if he com- is compelled to be humble, seeketh repentance. Now surely, whosoever repenteth shall find mercy. And he that findeth mercy and endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. I hope for you that it makes more sense why the first comforter is referred to by Alma in this verse as finding mercy. Same thing as he said in previous verses. It is mercy that we receive the first comforter. It is how we are cleansed. It is how we become sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Only after receiving the first comforter can you get on the path to the second comforter where you can come back into his presence in the fullness of his glory. You do not want to do that before you are redeemed or it will destroy you. Let's go on. Verse 14. And now, as I said unto you, that because you were compelled to be humble, you were blessed. Do you not suppose that they are more blessed who truly humble themselves because of the word? My question is, was Zeezrom compelled to be humble or was he compelled by the word? In my opinion, he was compelled by the word. Unlike the people in this chapter that Alma was talking with, which was the poor who had been cast out of the synagogues and felt like they had no place to worship. And Alma could see that that had made them humble. And he said, you know what? That's fine. If that has made you humble and you seek repentance because of it, that's fine. But more blessed is the person who humbles himself because of the word. And that is our opportunity today on this call in the coming weeks as we try to share the doctrine of Christ with our friends and family. We seek to teach the word as Jesus Christ taught it with the hope that the word will be what humbles them and brings them into the covenant and encourages them to offer up their broken heart and contrite spirit. If not, As time goes on and things get harder, they may be compelled to be humble by what's happening in the world around them. And if that brings them to repentance, that's okay. And we pray that it does bring them to repentance. But more blessed are they if they hear the word and humble themselves now. Verse 15, yea, he that truly humbleth himself and repenteth of his sins and endureth to the end, the same shall be blessed. Yea, much more blessed than he who, they who are compelled to be humble because of their exceeding poverty. That's close to a power verse. Humble yourself and repent, endure to the end and blessed. I'm assuming blessed can be replaced with 
second comforter. But I don't see first comforter in there unless it's part of repenteth of his sins. Anyway, that was close to a power verse. Verse 16, therefore, blessed are they who humble themselves without being compelled to be humble. Or rather, in other words, blessed is he that believeth in the word of God and is baptized without stubbornness of heart. Yea, without being brought to know the word or even compelled to know before they will believe. Yea, there are many who do say, if thou wilt show unto us a sign from heaven, then we shall know of a surety, then we shall believe. We've already talked about why that is not a good idea. Interestingly, as I've taught or I tried to teach people or introduce them to the doctrine of Christ, as they have a hard heart and reject my words, I've asked for a sign on their behalf. I asked the Lord, can I shake them with the thunder of an angel right now so that they will believe in the words that I'm saying. And I haven't been granted that <laughs> so far. And because of this chapter, I can understand why. You do not want to give them a sign that brings them to a knowledge without them exercising their own faith and repentance first. Otherwise, you run the risk of condemning them. Verse 18, now I ask, is this faith... If you receive a sign, is this faith? Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for if a man knoweth the thing, he hath no cause to believe, for he knoweth it. Now how much more cursed is he that knoweth the will of God, and doeth it not, than he that only believeth, or only hath cause to believe, and falleth into transgression? Now if this of this thing ye must judge, behold, I say unto you, that it is on the one hand, even as it is on the other." And it shall be unto every man according to his work. And now, as I said concerning faith, faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things. Therefore, if ye have faith, ye hope for things which are not seen, which are true. <clears throat> now, some people in this verse mistake faith for being the same thing as hope. They conflate the two. I don't see it that way. Therefore, if ye have faith, ye hope for things which are not seen, which are true. I see that is if you have faith, meaning you are seeking revelation and acting upon it from the Lord. If you are a person that has faith, then you obviously are a person that has hope. Why would you seek a revelation from the Lord if you didn't have hope that he would give you that revelation? And that through that revelation, you could enter into the new covenant with him and move through the path of ascension. Verse 22, and now behold, I say unto you, and I would that ye should remember that God is merciful unto all who believe on his name. Therefore, he desireth in the first place that ye should believe, yea, even on his word. It's an act of mercy to not give you a sign. It is an act of mercy to not give you knowledge right away. It is an act of mercy to prevent you from eating of the tree of eternal life. Before you have been redeemed. The Lord knows this. And he calls out to us. To listen to his voice. And to come unto him. And be cleansed. To follow the directions that he gives us. That we might be baptized with fire. And baptized by the Holy Ghost. Now. 
There are many times, many verses in this chapter where the word is referred to, like in verse 22 there. What is the word? Well, what I would like to suggest tonight is read this chapter as though the word is your own personal revelation. You seeking personal revelation from the Lord, getting down on your knees, praying to him, seeking an answer in whatever way that he speaks to you, that personal revelation, let's compare that to the word. Now, why do I say that? Because of verse 23. How does the Lord impart this word to us when we are seeking the path? And now in verse 23, he imparteth his word by angels unto men. Yea, not only men, but women also. Now this is not all. Little children do have words given unto them many times, which confound the wise and the learned. When Zeezrom asked Amulek, how did you come to understand all of these things? How was this knowledge, or how did you came to understand this truth about redemption and salvation that you're teaching me. And in Alma 11.31, Amulek said, An angel hath made this known unto me. In chapter 12, when Alma was talking to the people about the Garden of Eden, this plan of redemption made by God was revealed to Adam and Eve. How was it revealed to them? Verse 29 of chapter 12. Therefore he sent angels to converse with them, who caused men to behold of his glory. Angels taught Amulek. Angels taught Alma. Angels taught the plan to Adam. Interestingly, how did, Z, or how did Korahor learn the doctrine of the devil? that he was teaching to the people. After he received his sign and was struck dumb, in verse 30, 53, he admitted to the truth. But behold, the devil hath deceived me. For he appeared unto me in the form of an angel and said unto me, go and reclaim this people. So yes, you can receive revelation from angels from both sides. Angels that are servants of God and those who serve the adversary. It's one of the, it's hard enough to get a revelation to distinguish between the word of God and your own thoughts, but to complicate matters, the adversary can put those thoughts into your mind as well. And how does the Lord speak to our minds? And how does the devil's angels speak to our minds? They whisper these truths into our ears, or they whisper their lives, their lies. And it is up to us to learn to discern the difference between when a servant is speaking with the power of God or the tongue of angels, or when it is your own thoughts, or when it is the adversary. It is a process. There is no shortcut around that process. In order to receive revelation, 
We have to go through that process. And at times, you may be upset with how difficult it is. And I hope you remember this chapter from Alma, that it is an act of mercy. That process of how we use faith to seek revelation and then follow that revelation to help us to repent. It is that process that allows the Lord to cleanse us and redeem us and make us ready for what we'll need to know to get on the path to return to him. Verse 24, And now, my beloved brethren, as you have desired to know of me what you shall do because you're not you're afflicted and cast out, now I do not desire that you suppose that I mean to judge you only according to that which is true. For I do not mean that ye all of ye have been compelled to humble yourselves. For I verily believe there are some among you who would humble themselves. Let them be in whatsoever circumstances they might. There are many people across the world who seek the truth of Jesus Christ and would gladly follow his word, but they don't know where to find it. They don't know where to find it. And tonight, each of us is blessed to have these scriptures before us, to understand the path laid out within the doctrine of Christ. It is our duty to go and find these other people and share the word of Christ with them. Because they are humble and they are ready. It is not necessarily yet our duty to humble people. It is our duty to teach the word of Christ and let them choose to be humble. And if they don't choose to be humble because of the word, let's pray that they will be compelled to be humble with that which is to come. Because that is better than not seeking repentance at all. Verse 26, now as I said concerning faith, that it is not a perfect knowledge, even so it is with my words. You cannot know of their surety at first unto perfection any more than faith is a perfect knowledge. Replace words with your own revelations. You cannot know of your own revelations surety at first unto perfection any more than faith is a perfect knowledge. It is a process when you receive revelation of learning how to turn that into knowledge, of learning to distinguish, is that from God or myself or some other source? But behold, if you will awake and arouse your faculties even to an experiment upon my words and exercise a particle of faith, yea, even if you can no more than desire to believe, let this desire work in you even until you believe in a manner that you can give place for a portion of my words. Let's restate that with personal revelation. If you will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon the revelations that you've received, and exercise a particle of faith, even that you can no more desire to believe the revelations that you've received, let this desire work in you even till you can believe in a manner that you can give a place for the portion of those revelations. Those who start this path often receive revelations that make them super uncomfortable, that challenge them, that stretch them, that go against knowledge that they already have. 
And so they immediately want to kick that out and say, there's no way that's from God. God would not say anything to me that's contrary to what I already believe. And what Alma is saying is don't kick that out just yet. It may be true. And you won't know until you plant that seed, which means you give it a chance that perhaps it is true. And you let that stay in your mind. And you think about it in the coming days. And you read scriptures about it and continue to pray about it and see if that seed grows. Or you act upon it and see if that seed grows. Now, we will compare the word, un- your revelation, unto a seed. Now, if you give place that your revelation may be planted in your heart, behold, if it is a true revelation or a good revelation, if you do not cast it out by your unbelief, that you will resist the spirit of the, of the Lord, behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when you feel these swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourself, it must needs be that this is a good seed. Or that the word is good, for it beginneth to enlarge my soul. Yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. I received one of the first revelations that I received, and that most people receive, is an idol that I had placed in my life. I had created something into an idol, and I had placed it between me and the Lord. And the Lord said I needed to get rid of that idol. And that was not an idol that I had ever heard anything at church or in the scriptures speak to. In fact, I thought I was doing just fine. But I received a revelation that it was in fact an idol and I needed to get rid of it. I could have kicked it out. And in fact, I kind of held off for a week or two. I didn't say no. I didn't say no, I won't do that. But I wanted to think about it. I may have been tempted to ask a sign for a sign. Lord, can you just make this a sure witness to me and I will do this thing. And through his mercy, he did not do that. I had to work it through. I had to exercise the faith unto repentance. But I believed it was from the Lord. And so I began to act on it. And I came up with a plan to remove that idol from my life. And I took it back to the Lord and he said okay with the plan that I presented. And as I moved towards removing that idol, I could feel this swelling in my breast. I could feel the enlightening of my understanding. It became delicious to me. That is how I knew that that revelation was a true revelation. Now behold, would not this increase your faith? Verse 29, absolutely it increased my faith. I received a revelation that I wasn't sure. And if it was from the Lord, I wasn't sure I could follow it. But I followed it. And it just so happened exactly how Alma explained it. It brought me closer to the Lord. And my faith and my trust in the Lord went up dramatically. So that in the future, when he asked me to do additional hard things... I was more easy to say, yes, I will do that. Even though I don't know how I'm going to do that. I trust you, Lord, that this will bring me closer to you. Verse 30, but behold, as the seed swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow, then you must needs say that the seed is good. 
For behold, it swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow. And now behold, will not this strengthen your faith? Absolutely. Yea, it will strengthen your faith. For you will say, I know that this is a good seed. For behold, it sprouteth and beginneth to grow. I know certain revelations that I have received because I have planted them. And they have grown and brought me closer to the Lord. I know they are true revelations. And now behold, are you sure that this is a good seed? I say unto you, yea, for every seed bringeth forth unto its own likeness. Therefore, if a seed groweth, it is good. But if it groweth not, behold, it is not good. Therefore, it is cast away. I've had that many times happen. Generally, you know, I have been deceived before, but generally the seeds that I plant that are of my own thoughts, those are the ones that tend to go nowhere. I get all excited about them when I first receive it. And then within a day or two, I've already forgotten about it. It's as though it's a stupor of thought as, des- as described in the Doctrine and Covenants. I just forget about it. I lose the desire to do it. But when, it tends, but when it's a true revelation, I tend to wake up in the morning saying, how am I going to do this today? And then I continue to pray about it and I read a scripture that's like, oh man, that scripture's talking about that. Those are the kind of things that create that swelling in the breast. Okay. Verse 33, And now behold, because you have tried the experiment and planted the seed, and it swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow, you must know, you must needs know that the seed is good, or that that revelation is good. Now behold, is your knowledge perfect? Yea, your knowledge is perfect in that thing, in that revelation. Does it mean you know everything now? Absolutely not. It means you know that revelation was a good and true revelation. And your faith is dormant. And this because you know, for ye know that the that revelation hath swelled your soul. And you also know that it hath sprouted up, that your understanding doth begin to be enlightened and your mind doth begin to expand. Oh, then, is not this real? I say unto you, yea, because it is light, and whatsoever is light is good, because it is discernible. Therefore, you must know that it is good. And now behold, after you have tasted this light, is your knowledge perfect? Back to the first question in verse 35. Oh, then is not this real? When I bear my testimony of Christ now, of Jesus Christ, it's different. It's different. When you've received a revelation from the Lord that was hard, especially when it was hard, and you follow through, on that revelation, you come to know who Christ is. You come to know the types of things that he would ask of you. And you see how they lead you. My testimony of Christ comes through the idols he told me to get rid of. It comes through the commandments that he has given me. As I seek him through faith and as I repent by doing those things that he has asked me to do. That is where my testimony of Jesus Christ comes from. And I'll share that with anybody. He is kind. He is merciful. When he asks you something hard, he will help you accomplish it. All he asks from you is to have a broken heart and contrite spirit so that you can hear his word and will work on it and receive it with gladness. 
Verse 37, And behold, as the tree beginneth to grow, you will say, Let us nourish it with great care that it may get root, that it may grow up and bring forth fruit unto us. Now behold, if you will nourish it with much care, it will get root and grow up and bring forth fruit. But if you neglect the tree, what is that fruit, by the way? I wish I could see all of your hands and hear your answers to that question. That fruit is redemption and salvation. When you plant this tree, when you plant the seed, or you plant these simple revelations from the Lord of what you need to do to come unto Him, it will grow. And if you nourish those revelations and you continue to follow what He said, eventually it will grow into a tree and it will produce fruit. And you will become a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. That is the fruit that he's looking for and by which we know we're on the right path. But if you neglect the tree and take no thought for its nourishment, behold, it will not get any root. And when the heat of the sun cometh, scorcheth it, because it hath no root, it withers away. And you pluck it up and cast it out. Again, if you get some of those revelations that are too hard and you set them aside and you say, this is not for me, then that tree will die. It will take no root. And this is a heartbreaker to watch. For those who tried it and received revelations, but because of the craftiness and appeal of the world, they set it aside but they will get another chance. They will get another chance to repent and return. In the meantime, we keep doing our best to encourage them to enter into the new covenant. Verse 39, Now, this is not because the seed was not good, neither is it because the fruit thereof was not desirable, but it is because your ground is barren, and you will not nourish the tree, therefore you cannot have the fruit thereof. You're caught up too too much into the things of the world and what other people will think of you. Verse 40, And thus, if you will not nourish the word, looking forward with an eye of faith to the fruit thereof, you can never pluck of the fruit of the tree of life. This is the path for the what the Lord gave us to finally partake of that fruit of the tree of life, which is the second comforter, which is to come back to the Lord and the his presence in the fullness of his glory and to receive the promise from him of eternal life. This is what it means to enter into his rest. A lot of people get ironically uncomfortable with the words first comforter and second comforter. If that's you, don't use those words. Use redemption and salvation. Use baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost and eternal life. And then you can see all over in the Book of Mormon those words describing this path. Verse 41, But if you will nourish the word, yea, nourish the tree as it beginneth to grow by your faith with great diligence and with patience, looking forward to the fruit thereof, it shall take root. And behold, it shall be a tree springing up unto everlasting life. And because of your diligence and faith and your patience with the word and nourishing it, that it might take root in you, behold, by and by you shall pluck the fruit thereof, which is most precious, which is sweet above all that is sweet, 
white above all that is white, pure above all that is pure. And you shall feast upon this fruit, even until you are filled, that you hunger not, neither shall you thirst. Then, my brethren, you shall reap the rewards of your faith and your diligence and your patience and your long suffering, waiting for the tree to bring forth fruit unto you. There are so many in the world, and all of you are on this call right now where that applies. Where you have exercised faith, you have shown diligence and patience and long suffering, waiting for the tree to bring forth fruit unto you. And my hope for tonight was to tell you to keep going, to encourage you to keep going, not give up hope. This is exactly how the path should be. You do not want to receive that second comforter without first being redeemed. The Lord as our master knows the exact path for each of us. The exact, right, perfect path that will save us. So don't give up. Every day, when you kneel down and pray to the Lord, ask Him, what can I do today, Lord? What would you have me do? Is there anything that I've done that has brought me away from you rather than closer to you? Please reveal it to me and show me how to overcome it. And every day, He can speak to you and give you that answer. And if you receive that answer, act on it. Do it. Don't kick it out. If it's the word of God, act on it. Plan it. And your faith will grow. And if you do this every day, it will grow into the first comforter. It will grow into your being able to be redeemed by the Lord. We don't deny the Lord. We don't deny the Savior or a need for the Savior. When you are of a broken heart and contrite spirit, you acknowledge your weakness before him. You acknowledge that he is the only way. There is no other path. That's how we are eventually saved. Only through the Lord. So... This is what I wanted to end with. The title of tonight's Zoom call was First Redemption, Then Salvation. And I liken that unto chapter 32, First Faith, Then Knowledge. Don't skip over the process or think that there are any shortcuts on this path. It's not because the Lord is just making it hard to torture you. It's because he knows you must first be redeemed before you can come back into his presence. Now, I'll share with you why it's so important to understand these steps. Again, many people have shared with me their process and their path, and quite a few of them are excited to tell me about their second comforter experience. And when I ask about redemption or when they were born again or when they were baptized by fire and the Holy Ghost, they don't have much to say about that. Now, that doesn't make me want to 
point that out and rub that in their faces or anything like that. But I hope that they were first redeemed. And I say this because I had my own second comforter experience. It was a beautiful experience, but it turned out to be a deception. How do I know it was a deception? Because they haven't had my first comforter yet. Now, the adversary would have me believe that I didn't need that. That somehow I was better than everyone else who needed to go be redeemed. And that I could skip that step and go straight to the second comforter. I believed that for about five seconds. (laughs) Actually, it was more devious than that. He led me to believe that an experience that I had was the first comforter. I had had a powerful baptism of fire before, but the Lord has told me that was not the first comforter. I did not get baptized by the Holy Ghost at that time. And that's fine. But then when I have this deceptive second comforter experience, the adversary said, yes, that was it. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. You're fine. Here's your second comforter. Fortunately, I didn't, you know, fall into that for too long. I think it was Phil and Dustin. When I explained to them that experience, they just looked at me like, (laughs) with wide eyes, like, are you sure? And I'm like, ah, I know what you're saying is true because the Lord has already told me I didn't have the first comforter. And they reminded me, it's redemption first. Then salvation. You do not want your second comforter until you have been redeemed. You don't want to jump over that step. Don't make me read back in Mosiah what it says. If you were to face the Lord without first being cleansed every whit from all of your sins. I bear you my testimony tonight, brothers and sisters. That the doctrine of Christ is the only path. And what that means to me is that Jesus Christ is the only path. If anyone ever tells you that he's not necessary, or if you receive a revelation that says he's not necessary, cast it out. That's not a seed that is worth planting. But if you have a revelation that brings you closer to the Lord, then that's a seed you want to plant. That's a seed that will grow and you'll feel it and you'll see that growth and it will turn into a tree. And if you keep nourishing it, eventually that'll turn into a tree that produces fruit. And I bear you this testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now that uh, concludes the lesson portion of tonight's Zoom call. Um, Phil is on tonight and he texted me. And I think I said something incorrect at first about entering into the covenant. So, Phil, do you want to uh, clarify that really quickly, if you're there? Hey, uh, I am here. All right, go ahead. uh, Great job tonight, uh, Justin. uh, I would make uh, two two small clarifications. uh, the new and everlasting covenant of broken heart and contrite spirit is the requirement for baptism. 
both baptism with water and the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and the Church of Christ. And so it's not until we receive either baptism by water, by one who has that power and authority, or the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that we actually become a member of the Church of Christ. And uh, the only other point I would make is, uh, you know, usually in the scriptures, uh, you know, salvation actually refers to being born again as Christ's son or daughter, you know, at the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, um, you know, preparatory to that is, you know, the baptism by water where we become, you know, sanctified. And, you know, uh, baptism by fire, by baptism by the Holy Ghost is another level of sanctification. But, uh, yeah, great job tonight. That's a, great, you, that's a great point. We talked about that last week. The word saved. Is that first comforter or second comforter? From what I've found in the Book of Mormon... More often than not, it is that fourth step and is received after we endure to the end. But there is a time where it is referred as the second step as well. Yeah. So to be saved, if that's the same as salvation, I guess is where I was coming up with that. Yeah. Well, so the Book of Mormon you know, contains you know, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's mostly focused on... Um, receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, um, whereas the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon uh, deals more fully uh, with the path of the second comforter. And so it's, it's the difference between salvation and exaltation. And, uh, you know, most, you know, there are references to second comforter exaltation in the Book of Mormon, but it's mostly, you know, references to uh, salvation, baptism of fire, baptism of the ghost. Great. Thank you for your insights. Anything else you uh, would like to share? Um, you know, the, uh, the point you brought up on, on faith is so crucial. Um, you know, that faith as you read, is not to have a perfect knowledge. Um, and as you pointed out, um, and that's because we have to, to exercise faith, we have to seek after, receive, and act on revelation. And, um, and it, it literally is that process of once we, you know, like you said, hope is required to even seek after the revelation. And then it's also required to act on it. And if we don't have hope, even if we receive revelation, we're not going to act upon it. And you know, hope is literally that piece that causes us to act on the revelation that we receive so that we might exercise the power of faith. So I, I thought that was such a great point that you brought up. Thank you. 